Hello, I'm Dan Schaefer, producer of the Alliance Party After Dark. This episode is being released on April 4, 2021. Happy Easter! It is springtime in the Northern Hemisphere, and we need only to take a walk outside to see the process of life renewing itself, as it does every spring. Springtime always reminds me of the eternal promise delivered by the concept of time. Time never stands still. Every moment is a new opportunity. Even in the barren winter landscape, there is life, just waiting for its moment to reveal itself with beautiful flowers and remind us that nothing is wasted, nothing ever dies. Every moment counts for something. The Christian meaning of Easter is based on Jesus Christ's resurrection. It symbolizes eternal and everlasting life. I personally take it to heart that spring is but a reminder of the unwavering promise that we live within, that is, the universal truth that nothing is final, nothing is wasted, and even the times we think are bad will not last. As one door closes, another will open. The privilege that we humans enjoy is that we can reach an understanding of this process. We can, through personal free will, decide to make things different, to deliver ourselves from those places we find undesirable and invent something new. We don't have to wait for springtime to act on our free will. It's available to us 24-7. All we have to do is ask of ourselves to do better and to help each other on the path to a more promising future. In that spirit, I'd like to replay an episode from earlier this year where we talked with Jim Rex, who until January 1 of this year was the Alliance Party's national chair. Jim has stepped aside, but he is still very much involved in the party. Keep in mind that at the time, Darcy Richardson was about to take Jim's place as national chair, but circumstances came up and Darcy himself stepped aside. And now Jonathan Etheridge filled the seat of the national chair. Nevertheless, the concepts we discussed are largely still in place. The promise of time is being fulfilled as the Alliance Party moves into its second quarter of 2021 with new ideas and new energy. With that said, here's a rebroadcast of the Alliance Party After Dark from January 3 of this year. Welcome to the Alliance Party After Dark, a podcast for the politically aware brought to you by the Alliance Party. Content for this episode was recorded on Sunday, January 3, 2021. And a good evening to you. I'm Dan Schaefer, producer of the podcast. This evening, we're talking with Jim Rex, who, up until January 1 of this year, was the national chair for the Alliance Party. Jim is now taking a more passive role in the party, having handed the baton off to our new national chair, Darcy Richardson. Jim co-founded and chaired the American Party of South Carolina, and he was the last Democrat to win a statewide election in South Carolina when elected as the 16th State Superintendent of Education in 2006. Prior to becoming superintendent, Jim held a variety of leadership positions, including the Dean of Education at Winthrop University and at Coastal Carolina University, Vice President for University Advancement at the University of South Carolina, and President of Columbia College in South Carolina. He began his career as a high school English teacher and football coach. He earned a Ph.D. in curriculum and instruction from the University of Toledo. In mid-2019, Jim was promoted from vice chair to the national chair of the Alliance Party. Jim, welcome back to the Alliance Party After Dark, and Happy New Year to you. 
Well, thank you, Dan. Happy New Year to you also and to all of our listeners. Um, I think most of us are happy to put 2020 behind us, right? I'm looking forward to it. I've been looking forward to it, uh, to looking at 2020 in the rearview mirror, as they say. You've been on this podcast many times over the past year, and each time you leave us with great thoughts and inspiration. I think it's appropriate that you are our first guest in a new year that we dearly hope is going to be better than 2020. Well, thanks. That's a high bar you set for me there, but um, hopefully 2021 will be a, an improvement, and hopefully uh, your future guests will be uh, all uphill from me. So <laughs> hopefully it'll continue to go, go upward and onward. Well, we hope so, but we've, we're starting off with already a, a pretty high bar to begin with. So, um, and, and we are starting off with a new national chair, Darcy, Darcy Richardson, and you've been the national chair since, what, uh, June of 2019-ish? Was that when yeah, you started? About a year and a half, yeah, something like that. Mm-hmm. Okay. And during that time, the Alliance Party organized itself to the point of actually running a presidential candidate for the 2020 election and uh, finishing with almost 88,000 votes overall, and all within two years of the party itself forming from the alliance of a, of a number of independent parties across the country. And this is, clearly, this has never been done before. I mean, that is, you know, establishing the alliance party as a viable political force within two years, which, uh, by comparison, is a fraction of the time it took for the uh, Green and the Libertarian parties to achieve that milestone. So your leadership was obviously a big part of that success. Uh, can you tell us a bit more about how you were able to do this? Well, first of all, let me make it very clear, and I think most people know this, it's, it's not what I did. It's what a team of people, including you, have done uh, over these last couple of years. It is unprecedented, as you said. That's, that's not braggadocio on our part. It, it is, um, you look at you know, we're, we're ranked number five now in the nation in terms of impact and size of political parties. And we've done that in record time. Um, Republican and Democratic parties have had centuries to do it. And the two ahead of us in terms of that ranking, the Libertarian and Greens took decades to get to where they are. So mm-hmm. it is unprecedented. Um, part of it is timing, frankly, Dan. Uh, I think the country is in dire straits. And I think more and more Americans are recognizing that something is seriously wrong, that we need to have a different approach to politics. And I think the Alliance Party, while it certainly doesn't have all of the answers, is seen by many and a growing number of people as a as a fresh new approach that provides some hope for our, for our nation and for the future. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, we've grown fast. We've grown, I think, in the right direction in terms of making sure that we're not just another party, not just another tribe. Uh, God knows we don't need that in this country, uh, but but rather that we're really a significantly different um, and hopefully, um, you know, influential change in how we how we approach politics in America. So that's that's the secret, I think, to our to our growth. Um, the presidential election um, showed that we you know, that we do have some staying power and that we do have the potential to grow and appeal to a growing number of voters. You mentioned that we had almost 90,000 votes in this last election cast for our candidates. Um, 15 states had us on the ballot and we had some others where we were write-ins. Uh, we had candidates on the down ballot, not just for the president and vice president, but we had 
candidates ranging from mayor races to um, state uh, houses and state senates. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, I'm, I'm very pleased and very gratified with how far we've come, but we have a long, long, long way to go, my friend. Mm-hmm. And um, the country needs us to succeed, and we need lots of people to help us do that. Well, and I can understand him. This is this has been a, a very long road for the Alliance Party in a very short period of time. And so I can understand uh, at this point why you might want to retire, uh, uh, at least uh, retire from being the uh, the uh, national chair, because it really is a full-time job, uh, but without the full-time pay, right? Without any pay, actually. So, um, but you're still heavily involved in the party. So what do you think is next for the party as we go into 2021, which is not a major election year, but it's a time perhaps to consolidate and plan and move forward. What, what do you see coming up for the party this year? Well, first, let me clarify, I'm not retiring. Um, my wife would like me to, but I've been a, a, I've been a miserable failure when it comes to retiring from anything mm. uh, during my life and career. I've had many different roles and jobs as you touched on at the introduction and um, mm-hmm. so I'm not leaving the party but I I am relinquishing the national chair it was not a position I intended to take um, you know I was one of the founding members when we created the alliance party I brought the the, um, the party that I had created in South Carolina called the American party mm-hmm. into that merger that initially created the alliance party and um, you know I agreed to be one of the vice chairs and then our um, inaugural chair, uh, Brian Mistro, left after a relatively short period of time, mm-hmm. and um, I was convinced that um, that I should step into the national chair. But I, I never intended to be in this role or to keep it for a long period of time. Mm-hmm. I, I really think for a party like ours, um, and especially volunteer-driven, that it's healthy for us to have a fairly um, regular turnover uh, and leadership doesn't mean our people should leave, but I think they should be willing to uh, have reassigned roles. And that's kind of what, you know, my status is. So I'll I'll still be involved. I'll still be um, taking on some special projects for the party. And uh, certainly okay. I look forward to that. But um, the full time responsibilities, which during the election year ended up being 24 uh, uh, seven. Yeah, <laughs> I needed to I needed to step back from. Yeah, but uh, but anyway, in terms of the future, um, it's it's both bright and challenging. Um, I think anybody who looks at what's happening right now during the period of time of this podcast with, you know, the erratic transfer of power that we're trying to bring about as a result of the most recent election is um, very troubling, I think, mm-hmm. to most Americans. Even they may, they may not agree on all the details as to why it's troubling, but I think most of us know this is, this is not what we had in mind, not what the founders had in mind when we talked about the peaceful transfer of power, uh, the respect with which we acknowledge that someone has won or someone has lost an election. Mm-hmm. Um, we're not seeing that right now. So um, the need has never been greater. Um, the party has grown fast and in some ways maybe a little too fast. So we do have some things to shore up, especially at our state level Mm -hmm. affiliates. And as you've heard me say 
many times, Dan, maybe too many times, that uh, when you judge a party and you judge its ability to transform the way we do politics, ultimately, I think that will be done based upon our candidates. Um, you know, who are our candidates? What do they stand for? And then how do they perform? And if they're not different, if they don't look significantly different and give us significantly different outcomes, then, um, you know, what have we really achieved? So that's where I, I'm hoping the party will focus much of its effort and energy on over the next year to two years leading up to uh, 2022. And that is strengthening and adding to our party affiliates in terms of leadership mm -hmm. and in terms of the quality of candidates that we field and uh, getting the word out, letting people understand better than most Americans still do about who we are and what it is we're trying to accomplish for them and for us. And um, that's, uh, you know, that's where my efforts will still be directed. And I think the leadership of the party will, uh, will also focus on that. Okay. Yeah, I was just sort of wondering how this is going to work out. I mean, how do how is the party, you know, going to reach out to the rural voter in say like Rupert, Idaho or something like that where, you know, it it the word has to get out. Um, but I guess your answer there is that the state affiliates need to be need to build up their base, need to build up their their visibility within the states. And um and that's I, it sounds like that's what our focus is going to be over the next uh, over the next phase. Yeah, I think, we're, you know, we're going to be judged by, as I said a minute ago, we're going to be judged by the people who represent us, mm -hmm. and, uh, the, you know, the volunteer leaders in the, at the state level, um, at the local level, the county level, and then ultimately our candidates. And um, that's, mm -hmm. you know, that's where we've got to focus. You know, my my background, as you pointed out, at the introduction is largely in education, not entirely, but largely. Mm -hmm. And a big part of our challenge is education. You know, we've got a growing number of Americans, a, a majority, who know that um, the two parties do not represent them and increasingly know that the two parties are doing some damage to the republic. Yeah. Um, but it's hard for the, the average person, all of us probably to one extent or another, is to envision an alternative. We've been immersed in this two-party system, mm -hmm. not just us, but our parents, our grandparents. I mean, it goes back generations. So it's hard for us to see how we can fix this thing in a way that gets back to what most Americans want this country to look like and the way most Americans want to see our democracy function as. And so that's our challenge is, is to convince them that it can be fixed. It can be improved and it can be done in a way that doesn't necessarily have to look like what they've always known and become accustomed to, even though they're increasingly uncomfortable with it. That's going to be hard to do because I think that um, that there has been so much messaging out there from from both parties, uh, the, the Republicans and the Democrats, I should say, not both parties, but two of the big parties out there. And you're fighting that messaging out there that's um, that's resonating with people, uh, regardless of whether or not we want uh, we agree with it. Um, I'm actually looking at a book right now. It's 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 strangely it's called "Let Them Eat Tweets: How the Right Rules in an Age of Extreme Inequality," and it talks about how the how the messaging out there resonates with the rural voter and how 
and this is, I'm talking about specifically Republican messaging, that um, that it, even though the economic part of the Republican uh, policy is hurting the rural voter, the messaging is something that resonates with the rural voter, so they will continue voting uh, with their for their morals as opposed to voting for their economic interests. And so that's a tough hill to climb, I think, because they've spent so many years consolidating this messaging uh, through various different forms, uh, through religious broadcast radio, through, uh, well, as you know, conservative radio, the Rush Limbaugh's of the world. Um, this is a tough hill to climb, but uh, it's, do we have a plan to approach this at all, or how, do, how are we going to... Uh, how are we going to climb that hill? Well, you're right. It is a big hill. It's a mountain, as a matter of fact. Mm-hmm. Um, the the thing that gives me encouragement is when you mentioned rural. I I grew up in a rural area. I now live in a rural area, uh, South Carolina. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> so I could kind of, if I had to categorize myself as urban, suburban, or rural, I probably would choose the latter. Mm-hmm. Um, the thing that gives me hope is I I think that Americans. Um, by and large, still value and desire the same qualities in, in people. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, cowards still admire courage. Yeah. People don't always admire what they themselves exhibit. Um, liars still value and want truth and honesty mm-hmm. in others. Selfish people still respect selflessness mm-hmm. and people who are you know working for the common good when you look at our heroes and heroines the people we put on pedestals publicly at least they're those kinds of people and I, so i i think when you go back to what americans pride themselves on who we are what we profess to be those things haven't really changed that much um the two parties have sort of bastardized that whole process because of the way they pit us against one another in their effort to uh, attain power mm-hmm. and preserve it. But most people still respect that. And and when I look at why, why people, you know, love America, admire America, um, it isn't so much because of the words that we have professed. It's because of the, the behaviors we've exhibited over time. You know, mm-hmm. we're seen as liberators. Um, you're not not imperialist when you think of all the european nations and you know what they did once they won a war or conquered an area they took it and they controlled it and they profited from it um as opposed to america you know what look at our enemies look at the fact that we've turned germany into an ally we've turned japan into an ally people look at our behaviors around the world they look at america and they say you know there's something different about america they they really do have ideals. They really do have principles. They don't always live up to them, mm-hmm. but at least they they strive for it. You know, we talk sometimes about our better angels. Mm-hmm. Uh, America has always, I think, given that hope to the world, and that's why so many parts of the world have tried to emulate us in the past. We're, we're seen as that, um, you know, we have all kinds of metaphors, shining city on the hill and all of that, but but it's still there. And mm-hmm. The parties and the media and the messaging you were just talking about has clouded that. And sometimes we begin to think we really have changed. But I I don't know that we have. And I I think the rural voter, 
um, you know, the religious person versus the non-religious person, the, mm-hmm. the city dweller. I, still, I, I think they still have that core. And what we've got to do, I think, is to give them uh, reasons to believe that there are people who are running for public office who can exhibit those ideals, those behaviors in a way that will make them proud as voters, but also in a way that will help us start solving our problems instead of just putting them off the solutions, putting them off of the solutions and blaming one another for our lack of solutions, mm-hmm. which is basically what the two parties have, have, have done to yeah. us as Americans. Yeah. That's a very good point. I like that. So um, let's move on to Darcy Richardson, your successor. Um, so I assume then when he was elected to that position, you were quick to concede or, or did you demand a recount and intervention from the courts? <laughs> <laughs> no, it was a very peaceful transfer of power. Okay, good. I'm, I'm no, happy to hear he, that. <laughs> no, I'm a, I'm a great supporter of Darcy's. In fact, I was one of the people who um, you know pushed for him to be a candidate for this for this role. Yeah. Well, I know he had other plans too. Uh, I had talked to him. Uh, I've been talking to him for the last, um, you know, probably the last 12 months or so um, off and on and uh, really got to know him. Uh, I really, um, really admire him and he's done a lot. He knows a lot. I think he's a great, a great person for this position. Uh, so, but in your words, what what does he bring to the table, and and uh, where does where do you think he's going to um, uh, emphasize? Well, first first and foremost, he represents the character and the principles that I was just talking about, and mm-hmm. and I do think that's first and foremost. Um, Darcy is a great great guy. He has character. Um, he believes deeply in what the Alliance Party is trying to do for, for the country. Um, you know, he, he, he joined us as a candidate, the candidate for the vice presidency of the United States. Mm-hmm. But very quickly, as he learned more and more about what we represented and what we were trying to do, he bought into the party. He made it clear that after the election, he wanted to be involved in some type of leadership role in the party. And he was going to stay with it. it was, he's been involved in third party politics for many years. You know, mm-hmm. he's been a, he was a candidate for governor in Florida as an independent. And um, he can say in a way I can't uh, because I've been involved with the party for so long. But he can say as a relative newcomer how, how much he believes that the Alliance Party is the strongest, most promising third party initiative that he's seen in his lifetime. And it's, it's, it's what drew him in, what, you know, what we stand for and what we're trying to do. So to me, that's first and foremost. He gets it. He believes in it. He's committed to it. Um, secondly, he's, he's been a candidate, as I have. He, he hasn't served in, in elected office, but he's been a candidate for office a number of, number of times. Mm-hmm. He understands the sort of nitty gritty of uh, running for office, both the good and bad. Mm-hmm. Um, he... Uh, he has he has a photographic memory. I always refer to him as sort of a library, a walking library when it comes to the history of reform, electoral reform, and and uh, third party politics. So uh, he he understands the dynamics of change and what has worked in the past and what needs to change in order for it to be 
effective in the future. So he brings, uh, and he's a great communicator. He's, a, he's an author. He's written numerous books. He's very uh, articulate in terms of the messaging that is so important that we've talked about today. So um, he's a great package, and uh, I think he's going to do extremely well in this role. Yeah, I was kind of surprised when I when I was talking to him um, over over the past few months um, that it he travels in in a lot of the same circles that we've been interviewing. Uh, I interviewed some time ago Oliver Hall, uh, who was uh, head of the um, um, oh my gosh I can't remember the name of that the uh, Center for uh, Democracy. Uh, I'll have to look that one up. Mm-hmm. Also Teresa yeah. Amato, who was uh, who was Ralph Nader's. Um, a campaign chairman or campaign uh, coordinator uh, during the 2000-2004 election, and she is also very much involved in voting rights. And And so I, I'm talking to Darcy about all these people. He says, oh, yeah, I know him. I know her. I know him. I know her. And uh-huh. we just go down the line like, well, this must be a very small group of people, or Darcy just has a tremendous memory that he just remembers everything and he remembers everybody he's ever talked to. Um, so that that tells me he's very well connected. He He understands the situation. Uh, understands the politics. Um, and I think, like you say, he hasn't held a position, but he, what I really like about it is the fact that he has campaigned a lot. He knows the nitty-gritty of it because, um, you know, guys like me, I, I need to know more about that stuff. I need to understand uh, more about uh, about uh, what people go through as candidates and how to choose a good candidate as well. So I'm very happy that he is taking that position. Is he still going to remain in Florida, or is he? Uh, at one point, no, he, he wanted to move. No, he's relocating. Um, his home state is Pennsylvania, mm-hmm. and he has family there, so he will be um, residing ultimately in Pennsylvania. I'm not real sure about the schedule for mm-hmm. his um, his move, but I think early this year in 2021, he'll be a resident of Pennsylvania. Okay. And be by the way, one of the things he's going to be working on there is to build and strengthen the Alliance affiliate in the state of Pennsylvania, which is an important swing state, as we all know. Yeah, yeah. That's uh, been in the headlines lately, hasn't it? Yeah. So how about uh, the party itself? Right now, we're pretty much a virtual office. Uh, We have people all over the country um, coordinating through Zoom or phone conferences, occasionally meeting each other. do you think that uh, at some point we will establish a non-virtual office for everything? I mean, obviously we oh, have yeah. to get some funding first, but what's what do you think the plan is? Well, there? I think I think yeah, I think it's a combination of funding uh, and to some extent getting this uh, this damn virus behind us. Yeah. So that we can do more face-to-face um, meetings. We have, for example, this year we will have a convention sometime in 2021. We'd love for it to be a face-to-face convention, mm-hmm. not a virtual one, but, you know, we'll have to see how that plays out. Yeah. But, um, yeah, well, I think we will definitely uh, have one or more, quote-unquote, national offices. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, a couple people have even asked me, you know, if you were going to pick a spot, where would you put it? Would you put it in Washington, D.C., or would you put it in, you know, the center of the country somewhere in a Midwestern state, for example. Mm-hmm. I said, I, I would hate to visit that, you know, the, what do you want to call it? Um, those unfortunate consequences of having a national office in, um, you know, some quiet 
Midwestern state, mm-hmm. you know, all the lobbyists and everything else that comes with it. But um, we'll, we'll have to cross that bridge when we get to it. But yeah, yeah it, it definitely has to be done if we're going to continue to grow to be a competitive national party. Yeah. Well, it seems like um, seems like Washington D.C. would make the most sense, um, but um, yeah, I don't know. If if not, if, if you're going to go to the Midwest, uh, come here to St. Louis, and uh, I'll uh, I'll look for an office space for you. <laughs> okay. How about and you mentioned the 2020, 2021 convention? Um, it, now, if we if we believe the uh, projections that everybody will have been vaccinated. Uh, or everybody who wants to be vaccinated will be vaccinated by June of this year. Um, does it make sense then to have, uh, or would we like to have then a face-to-face convention? Personally, I think that'd be a great idea. I'd, I'd take the time off and, and go to it myself if possible. Oh, yeah. I, I don't think there's any doubt that that would be, have many advantages to make it face-to-face. We, you know, early on when we were growing the party, we had a number of uh, face-to-face gatherings we had a couple in in washington dc we had a real important one in in atlanta where we uh, hammered out some of the party's values and priorities and principles um and you can do that virtually as you well know you're you're Mm -hmm. a maestro adverse virtual communication (laughs) by necessity um, yeah (laughs) yeah, but there's something about face-to-face especially if you can do it for some extended period of time you know for two or three days that you form relationships and you get sort of a deeper understanding of the other people involved uh, than you can get virtually. Mm-hmm. So um, I just, there's no doubt that we, that we will choose to do that if the virus allows us to do that and whether or not we're going to all be vaccinated <laughs> by June or July, uh, we'll just have to wait and see. Yeah. Well, I, I did talk to Tim Cotton about it, our national political director at some point, And, uh, yeah, I think his his uh, feeling about it at this point was that he wanted to push it off till perhaps later in the year so that we do have a maximal chance of getting everybody vaccinated before we do a face-to-face. Yeah, I think if we had to choose between a virtual convention in the spring or summer and a face-to-face in the fall, we would probably take the latter. Yeah, well, that would be good. I would look forward to it because, you know, I've been dealing – with you, Jim, for not dealing with you, but uh, talking with you for the past year and a half or so. And I've never met you personally. I've never yeah, met no. Darcy. I've never met uh, you know, all the other guys, Tim Cotton and whatever. I, it, uh, I'd just like to hang out with you guys and have a beer and talk about stuff. Well, we, uh, we'd we like to say I mean, a few of us have had that opportunity, as I said earlier, in the uh, evolution of the party. But most of us have not seen each other for many months now. And... Um, that's a dilemma the whole country's faced with. Hopefully, it'll get behind us here pretty quick. Yeah. You know, a few weeks ago, uh, I talked to Frank McKay on the podcast here, and then I found out he was going to be in Springfield, Illinois, which is, oh, about a two-hour drive from here. But uh, So we kind of met in a halfway spot uh, out in the middle of Illinois, windswept plain in the middle of winter. Um, no restaurants were open, so obviously we weren't going to go indoor anyway, but uh, there was no possibility of us doing anything other than just sitting in our cars trying to stay warm <laughs> and talking to each other <laughs> out the windows of our cars. But I I really enjoyed meeting with him, and he's he's one of those very enigmatic people that um, I just I see as a big asset to to the Alliance Party. Oh, he really is. His experience and what he's done in, in New York uh, will make a big difference in the growth rate of this party. Yeah. Yeah. 
So we're kind of coming up to the end here. Uh, do you have any final parting thoughts about uh, about everything, about uh, where the party's going and uh, where the nation is going? Well, the party and the nation are going in opposite directions. I mm-hmm. can say that. Um, you know, the, the, the thing I love, one of the things I love about our name is that it has multiple meanings. And as you know, Dan, um, one of the things we believe so strongly in is that we have to find a way for Americans to start viewing one another differently and overcome what our corruptive politics, especially as delivered by these two dominant parties, has done to us. Um, and start looking at each other, not as adversaries, not as opponents, not as enemies, but as allies. That's what I like about the name. It, it, it works. Mm-hmm. And um, we just not, we're not going to th- survive or thrive as a nation unless we change that dynamic. And I hear politicians of both parties sometimes give lip service to that. But all, as I said earlier, it's our behaviors as Americans that matter. And that's one of the things, you know, the Alliance Party tries to distinguish itself on from other political approaches. And that is, we want our politicians to practice what they preach. And that's why the agreements require them to abide by term limits, requires them to abide by transparency, even to the extent of putting their tax returns up on their websites before the election takes place. And then other things which are equally important, but a little harder to measure, like transparency and and truthfulness and civility. But these are the things that <clears throat> that have to happen. Mm-hmm. And and I don't believe, having been in the Democratic Party and knowing quite a bit about the Republican Party, too, that either of those two parties is willing to make those changes and, and in fact, may not be capable, frankly, any longer of, mm-hmm. of making those changes. So either, either as a nation, we're going to continue on the road we're on, which is disastrous in my in my estimation or we're going to have to have an outside force a disruptor whatever you want to call it that gives americans another choice which they begin to respond to in a way that challenges those other two parties and gets this different type of politician this different breed of public servant in office and i think the alliance party is the only player on the field right now that has a chance of doing that. I, I wish that weren't true. I wish there were others. But frankly, the Green Party, the Libertarian Party, and some of the others that maybe people have heard about um, are not focused on changing the system, changing the approach to politics. They're focused on a particular ideology or approach to a certain issue or set of issues. Mm-hmm. And and that's, that's not what we need. We've, it's a systemic problem that has been created over many, many years by these two political parties, and they've created their own monster. I mean, they, they, they're really captive because of gerrymandering and the things that they've done in terms of creating these two divided opposing bases uh, among, our, among our citizens. So they're, they're really not able to change, and, and that's, that's the reality, having been in one of those parties and having been elected to office, I saw so clearly even some years back, and it's worsened dramatically since then. Yeah. Well, 
and that that brings up a good point. I know we're trying to wrap things up here, but I, I you just you just kicked off a, a thought process in my mind. The fact that we we that that Trump has been voted out, uh, and all the 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 basic you know, crazy town stuff goes out supposedly with him. Hopefully, anyways, at least it leaves the presidency uh, and maybe go off and do, does its own thing. So we have Joe Biden as our next president, but it's not a time to rest on our laurels, right? Because the Democratic Party, um, not as wild, not as crazy town at this point as the Republican Party, but um, it could become that way, right? I mean, there, there's there's still part of the, I guess from what you're saying, there's, there's still both part of the same uh, the, the same nature of the same problem. Exactly, exactly. And, you know, it may even be that having a more sane um, example of a broken system in the long run is more dangerous because it may create a complacency that says, well, I know this is still not the way it needs to be. I know this still is not working. But I'm not as upset on an hourly or daily basis as perhaps I was earlier. So I'm going to accept it as inevitable and we can't do anything about it. Um, the, maybe if there's a silver lining and having a, a serious disease that creates a high fever like the Trump administration did in this country, mm-hmm. it did get people um, to start looking more critically at what in the heck is going on. What's happening around me? I mean, how many times have you heard and your listeners heard or said, I can't believe that I have a relative who supports fill in the blank, the other mm-hmm. side, the other, right. you know, the enemy. Or I can't believe that this person who I thought was rational and who agreed with me believes this or that politically. Mm-hmm. And and I've heard that so many times over the last four years that people were astonished that relatives, friends, colleagues, people they, they thought they knew well were on the quote unquote other side, <clears throat> excuse me, other side. And so, you know, that that came first and forefront. It was sort, it was sort of like the COVID, um, you know, pandemic showing us <clears throat> glaringly the inequalities we have in this society and healthcare, and education. So many things that were inadequate uh, because it was stressed. And we were forced to see those inadequacies. I think that's kind of what happened during the Trump administration. Mm-hmm. We were forced to look at a lot of inadequacies at the individual and personal level, not just at the systemic level. And if we now are no longer forced and we feel more comfortable and complacent, uh, that may actually do more damage in the long run than being worked up and angry and concerned. Yeah. And that's going to be the big challenge for 2021, I believe, um, unless things you know go off the rails again. But, you know, you, you're looking at, uh, OK, there's a vaccine now for COVID. OK, we, you know, there's no longer crazy town in the White House. Um, so people will fall back on their own uh, sense of just giving up or being perhaps cynical about it and saying, yeah, so what? That's what happens in Washington, D.C. Uh, and and critical um critical movements today then begin to fall by the wayside, you know, uh, including things like Black Lives Matter, where, you know, the, the, I think the, the challenge now is going to keep that sense of urgency alive over the next year. And, um, yeah, that's going to be, that's going to be, I think that's going to be one of the Alliance Party's big challenges over this next year. 
Well, we have many of them, but <clears throat> the, the thing that encourages me, as I was saying earlier, is I think most Americans, if you can get away from the sort of um, partisan static that gets in the way of our communicating with one another or even thinking rationally about some of our problems, if you can get that static out of the way, most Americans have a lot of things they agree upon about what's right versus what's wrong or what's desirable versus what's undesirable. And if we can give them a party and if we can give them candidates who represent that, um, I, I'm, I'm very optimistic about what can happen over the next uh, four to eight years. Yeah. But I also think there's some systemic things that need to be fixed. Uh, we talk about ranked choice voting in, on this show in the past. We've also talked about restructuring the primaries. These are things that are necessary to change the structure that created this this sort of um, um, bipartisan environment. When you have the, the type of voting where there's uh, first past the goal or, or you know, where, where, where the person who gets the most votes wins, even if there's 10 parties running, but one person gets 11%, everybody else gets, you know, 9% or whatever, um, that one person gets to rule basically gets gets that gets the uh, the title of whatever it is they're going for, and um, so the, I think these systemic things need to be changed. Um, that would be um, one thing I hopefully would happen over the next few years as well. But well, I, you know, I, I just one comment on that real quick. Um, I think you're right. You know, certainly we need to get rid of gerrymandering. Um, certainly, ranked choice voting. Uh, some people would argue the electoral college itself needs to be looked at very seriously. Mm -hmm. There are a bunch of electoral reforms, but the, the difficulty with those electoral reforms, even though a lot's, you know, 80% of Americans are in favor of term limits, for example, mm -hmm. um, all the polls show that, but they don't have a snowball's chance in hell, given the fact that all of these reforms advantage or disadvantage one or the other of the parties or one or the other of the incumbents of the parties, depending upon what seat or what state or what district you're looking at. Mm -hmm. So it's it's almost built in that one, and in some cases both parties, will fight to the death against those reforms being enacted. Mm -hmm. They might give lip service to them, but they'll kill them in committee. They'll find ways to, you know, to, to bury to them, make sure they don't happen. Yeah. So you're, it's not going to happen until we start electing a different type of person to get in some of these key elected offices it won't take a lot of them you know you know about the fulcrum mm -hmm. uh, theory and all of that but we're going to have to start electing some different types of people which means not republicans and not democrats in most cases to some of these key offices if we're going to see these reforms enacted and um mm -hmm. so it, it it all comes back to a systemic a systemic need for reform and that's going to take some different types of elected players involved in that process. Yeah. I agree. And I think uh, if we were to take the approach of represent.us, uh, it would all start at the state level too. We start, um, I would think anyways, and that, that that's your, uh, your earlier emphasis on state level, building up state level affiliates. That's where it all begins, right? At, at the state level, getting, um, proliferating, I, I guess for the lack of a better term, proliferating through the state legislatures, the uh, the state governments, the, even the city, uh, county governments, and building up the groundswell from there. Exactly. 
Well, thank you, Jim, for your comments today. And uh, we've been talking with Jim Rex, former national chair for the Alliance Party. Uh, Jim, again, thank you for joining us this evening. And very much a big thank you for all your hard work to set the Alliance Party on track to be a national political force. Well, thank you, uh, Dan. And I want to thank you again for all the time and expertise and effort you put into our, our podcast. It's been a great addition and it's been a big part of our success. And thank you for tuning in to the Alliance Party After Dark podcast. Please consider subscribing to this podcast so that you don't miss any episodes. Each week we'll bring you interesting topics from the Alliance Party. You may subscribe on iTunes, Google, or Spotify. If you enjoyed listening to this podcast and would like to get involved in the Alliance Party, please see our website at www.theallianceparty.com. As we expand the party, we need your involvement. Democracy is not a spectator sport. Donations and volunteers are always welcome. If you'd like to contact us at the Alliance Party After Dark, drop us an email at podcast at theallianceparty.com. Also, see our Twitter page at Alliance On Air. All content for this podcast is copyright the Alliance Party. Views expressed in this podcast do not necessarily reflect those of the Alliance Party. I'm Dan Schaefer, producer of the Alliance Party After Dark, and on behalf of everyone at the Alliance Party, have a wonderful evening, a great week ahead, and we hope you drop in for our next show. Be safe, be aware, and please take care of yourself and those around you.